All right. I'm going to go and read the whole chapter. My, my focus is going to be on 14 and 15. But I want you to see what leads up to him actually giving this uh, warning to the people. This is a group of Christian people that he's speaking to here. And uh, he just finished uh, speaking about um, the faith, um, people of the past who had great faith and endured great suffering, great trials, great persecutions. And it's uh, what a lot of people would call the Hall of Fame of faith. And uh, and he begins to uh, address this people, and he says in, 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 in verse uh, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything that hinders us and sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, not the race that's marked out for somebody else. The race that's marked out for you. And when he says, since there's such a great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about everybody that's went before us that ran their race. And he's saying, you have a race that's set out for you. This is believers. And he goes on. Let us fix our eyes. I think I heard you say that when you were talking. You know, don't fixate yourself on the pain but move forward and fixate your eyes on Him. And it goes on. And He says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured. He endured. Jesus didn't get an easy pass, did He? He endured for the joy that was set before Him. He endured such opposition from sinful men so that you, why did He do it? So that you will not grow weary and lose your heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. We fall in that category. Some of these people that He talked about in the chapter before they lost everything. Poor, one of the poor prophets was sawn in half. You know, they went through everything and they shed a lot of blood and they went through a lot. And he said, you people haven't even really shed blood. You haven't even gone to the point that they have yet. He says, but don't lose heart. And he goes on. He said, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. What did they forget? The encouraging. Encouraging means to pour courage in. The, the word that pours courage in is that you are sons. And it goes on and it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you. The Lord disciplines those He loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you like his own son. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate as a child and not his true son. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for that. Everybody understands that when a, a loving dad disciplines his son, it's because he loves him, right? How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? 
Our Father disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but what? You have the NIV, it's just painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. By what? The pain of discipline. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Now, what do you think the discipline is doing for the person with weak arms and feeble knees? They won't be weak anymore. Arms will become strong. The legs will be able to walk. They'll be able to stand upright. Therefore, strengthen your feeble and weak, your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level the paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Okay, here's where I want to start. That's all introduction. Make every effort. What's the King James say there? Be diligent. The first part where it says make every effort in 14. Does it say be diligent or watch? Okay. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it. No one misses the grace of God. You know, you can miss the grace of God. This is to believers. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The title of my sermon is The Root of Bitterness. Root of Bitterness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, Lord, we give you permission to shine your light in our heart, Lord. Lord, we give you permission to look at every hurt, to examine it, Lord, to examine our behavior based on our hurts, Lord, to do surgery, Lord, and remove that which is uh, deadly to us, Lord. Father, remove it out of our hearts like you would remove a cancer, Lord. Deal with us like your children, Lord, like your sons and your daughters, Lord. Help us today, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been offended or disappointed? Have you ever allowed hurt to sit in your heart? Have you ever nursed it? I want you to begin to think about this because this is one specific kind of hurt he's talking about here. But the Bible talks about be be aware, be diligent, be careful. Have you ever noticed the language of the Bible? You know, uh, the Bible talks about us being sheep we talked about a few weeks ago. And who's after the sheep? The wolves. Okay, this is not... A game. This is, the Bible isn't saying we're all going to heaven like a fairy tale and that it's all really easy. You said the magic prayer, right? 
So it's all on a cloud. Let's just float on little harps and everything's taken care of. Because I've heard preachers preach that. And that's not the Word of God. The Bible says you are a sheep, and if you're not careful, you're going to be devoured by a wolf. You are in a battle. And if you do not wear this armor on every single part of your body, you're going to be shot at. They're going to try to destroy you. They're going to, I mean, they're going to be shooting fiery arrows at you. I mean, the enemy is attacking you like a lion. I've never been attacked by a lion, but it's got to be vicious. Have you ever seen one up close? I mean, it has to be vicious to be attacked by a lion. And all the language that the Bible gives is danger. All of this danger around us. Be careful. Be diligent. Beware. Okay, if I, if you're at my house and I live in the middle of a wilderness and you're getting ready to leave my, my, my home and I say, watch out. Well, why? Put on all this armor. You know, put all this on and carry this gun and, uh, beware because somebody, I don't know, might shoot arrows at you on the way down my lane. You know, a lion may jump out and devour you before you get to the end of the lane. Or a wolf may destroy you if you're not careful. And oh, watch out because he may be dressed up like a sheep. Now, am I overdoing it or is the Bible give us this language constantly? And he's telling us here, beware, believers. Because if you're not really careful, this bitter root will destroy you. And not only destroy you, but it will defile many. It will defile many. And so he's warning about this root. And this root of bitterness, the first thing I want you to know about it, it is it is a root. This is the example God gives to help us understand this spiritual truth. Okay, have you ever ordered a root in the mail to plant in your garden? And where do we put the root? You put it in the ground. You bury the thing. And it, and, it, and it lays underneath the dirt unseen by anybody. And so what the Bible is saying first here is there is a root that is in there. And the root is hidden. I can't see it. You can't see it. The Bible says the heart is deceitful among all things. Who can know it? And it's in there. There's this root. The first thing you need to know about the root is it is an ancient root. When Satan came to Adam in the garden, that root of bitterness was already in him. Satan already, and I don't even totally understand and I don't have to, but I know something about Satan, there was an inequality there. In fact, did you know I talked about iniquity, meaning to have bent thinking? In the New Testament, the word they interpret iniquity actually means inequality means something wasn't fair, something wasn't just, something wasn't right. And, and there's this iniquity that you see way back in the garden. The twisted, bent thinking that changes our lives to the negative and destroys our life. Like Lisa was saying in the song this morning, I had to move forward because it was healthy. And there's something inside of every one of you. This message is not for the person who looks bitter on the outside. This is a person that has a potential root that can grow into their lives and destroy every part of your life. 
And this root is, Satan came to Adam, and I don't know what caused the uh, the root in Satan to hate God. But there's something in Satan's heart that made him say, I want to be like God. I want to replace God. I want to be in the place of God. Something inside of his heart said that God was not doing a good enough job at what he was doing. And this is what, this is where the root of bitterness plants itself in your heart. When you begin to question God, it's the exact opposite of what faith is. Faith says, I trust God. That's why faith is what is required to be saved. The opposite of faith is, God is not doing a good job. God, you were not fair to me. You were not just to me. You're not giving me everything that's coming to me. And Satan said, Adam and Eve, did God really say this? Did God really say that? And something began to spring forth like a root inside of their heart. And they began to question, is God giving me everything that's coming to me? And all the while, God was walking with them in the cool of the day. God gave them everything that they needed for their entire life. And they still questioned whether God was giving them everything that was coming to them. Was God fair? Was God just? Is God even good? So this root is an ancient root. And you begin to see it all through the Bible. In fact, legends say that this root that is called the root of bitterness is actually the wormwood plant. And the wormwood plant is the most bitter herb that you can have. In fact, you can take a wormwood plant and you can make one of the most vicious alcoholic drinks. It, it, it uh, has been banned in most countries because it causes hallucinations and it's just a bitter drink. And the Bible refers in Deuteronomy in a few places about this bitter drink um, that is made out of wormwood. And Wormwood, the legends are, and this is not biblical, but the legends are when Satan left the garden, his tail planted Wormwood all around the garden. And this Wormwood is the bitter plant that they're referring to, and it grows in clusters. It grows in little, sour, bitter clusters. And the only reason I bring that up is because if you allow it to begin to mature in your life, I'll begin to show you in a minute the clusters that will begin to grow. And they will either destroy your life so badly that you won't want to live it. In fact, there are instances in the Bible where this root grows and the person becomes depressed or suicidal. And then there are other places where it just kills everybody around you. But this bitter root, the second thing about it is, it's going to stay hidden for a very long time until it springs forth. So it's going to be there. Okay, and something... Have you ever had a dormant root? You know, it just sits there, and it sits there, and it sits there. And then this time of the year, what happens to some of those dormant roots? They spring forth. So something is going to cause this dormant root to spring forth unless you're careful. If you're careful, you can make it avoid, you can avoid this springing forth in your life. So it is a dormant root. Next thing about the root. 
And I've already talked about it. It's a destructive root. But this root is planted in what the Bible calls the soil of the heart. Can anybody remember another story in the Bible where it talks about the heart being soil? Many remember the parable of the soils. And it talks about different types of hearts that are receptive and it it compares it to a soil. Well, anytime you plant anything, a root or anything that you plant, they have certain favorable conditions. Like if you buy something from a mail order catalog, how many have ever done that for gardening? You buy something that comes in the mail. Well, they'll give you a paper and it says, here are the ideal conditions to grow this. They like this much shade. They like this much sun. They like this much of the uh, the composition of the soil is better if it's a little acidic or it's a little alkalinity to it, the pH. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And, and you can figure out as a gardener, what does that prefer? And here are the conditions of the heart that this root really likes. And listen very carefully. Pain. Pain. That's the first one. Anybody ever had pain? How often? Is it? Is it? I was just thinking, how often have you ever went in your life and not had some type of wound on your body? Whether it's stubbing your thumb or a serious injury or... I mean, we go through life, a wound happens physically. Like, our body is like just made to have wounds and then be healed, right? How many times do you think over the course of a day you have pain in your heart? Maybe it's some news you heard about a family member. Maybe it's an interaction with a friend or a family member or somebody at work, how many times has somebody offended you? You say, well, I don't get offended. Well, you're not human. We're going to get offended. We're going to get cut down. People are going to treat us badly. That's all pain. Do you know that? You know, you see this, this, there's things that happen. There's trials. There's tribulation. There's persecution. There's, there's things that we grieve. That's another kind of pain. And all this pain, goes to our heart. And the Bible says how we manage that pain determines the condition of the soil. How how effective will this grow in your heart? It depends on how you handle pain. Another thing, hurt, offense, trials, persecution. But here's one maybe you haven't thought about. This whole chapter here is about things that God allows to make you strong. If you're a child of God, He said, if you're my son or you're my daughter, I will measure out things that will make you strong. You ever notice how the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness and God would let them go without water, but He wouldn't let them die? It's like He let them go just long enough to see. Isn't that like a spanking? It's kind of like, I'm trying to make your arms strong. I'm trying to make your legs strong. I'm trying to make you somebody who can trust me. So I'm going to measure out just enough days where you don't have anything to drink. How many have ever been thirsty and said, God, I'm praying for more of you, but I'm not getting anything. And God's saying, grow up. 
You of little faith. How many times did Jesus say that? You of little faith. And what He's saying in Hebrews here is, God is going to allow you. I mean, God would bring them to a place and the water was bitter and they're like, we give up on God because the water is bitter. We give up on God because we don't have anything to drink. God, we give up on you again because we don't have anything to eat. God, we give up again because we had good food back in Egypt, but now we don't have anything to eat. You see how many times they gave up on God? And it's like the same thing with us. God, I give up on you because this person treated me really bad. God, I give up on you because somebody called me a name. God, I give up on you because I'm just kind of going through this really difficult time. And what Paul said, or what uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying is, you haven't even shed blood yet and you're still giving up on God. And he's saying, be very, very cautious and do not, when God takes you through periods of trials, tribulations, discipline, just be very careful that you don't allow the bitter root to rise up. Because He loves you. He loves you as His own child, and that's why He allows you to go through certain things. And it's difficult. I'm not making light of how easy it is, because it's not easy. It is not easy at all. I mean, there's things that people... Everybody in this room are going to go through things that are almost unbearable. I mean, you say, well, you, you take it lightly, the water, but they were they were thirsty. I mean, they really, really legitimately had a need. I mean, they're in the middle of a desert and don't have anything to drink. No, they don't have anything to eat. They don't even have a home. Okay, I'm not making light of that. There's things in life that are going to be so hard and so difficult, but you're going to have to trust God through it and not become bitter. Whenever bad things happen in your life, who do you blame? The Bible says that all murmuring is against God. How is that possible? You might know what murmuring is. It's complaining. And what can happen is this bitter root can begin to develop. In fact, I was walking by a guy the other day at work and every, every morning I see him, I always, I'm going to say his name because I might give away who it is, but every morning I'll see him I say, hey, and I'll call him by his name and I'll say, how are you doing today? And he always goes, great. And uh, the other day I walked by him and he goes, one of the ladies that worked there said, um, why does he always tell you great? So there's nobody else in this whole complex that he says that to. He said, everybody else that asks him, he always says, what's good about it? And every time it's a complaint or a murmur. And you know, you can do that. Your soul can become bitter. And you can begin to hate the things of God. Because ultimately, that's what happens. Ultimately, every bit of complaining, every bit of murmuring, every bit of what's good about this day, you know, what's good about my life, what's good about my neighbor, what's good about my job, what's good about everybody, ultimately everything is, God, you didn't take care of me. God, I trusted you and look what you did to me. And so you could tell this bitter root begins to grow. And you know, there have been people, and I wanted to look this up because I know I've had several stories in the past of people that are 
well-known atheists who at one time lived for God. Many, many, many of the most famous haters of God were at one time faithful followers of God. But do you know what happened? Somebody got sick. Something happened in their life that God did not answer it the way they wanted it to be answered. So they immediately, the bitter root began to grow. And they began to say, I hate church. I hate church people. I hate church things. And ultimately, it wasn't the people at church. It wasn't their job. It wasn't all these things. Ultimately, their beef was with God. God, you don't take care of me. And I'm angry. And this bitter root, just think of somebody like Charles Darwin. That bitter root began to grow in his heart, and he set out to make an entire theory around the fact that he believed that he wanted to prove that there was not a God. Think how many people he defiled by doing that. He had no scientific evidence. He just literally wanted to prove there was a way to have the earth without God. Imagine that. But think how many people that bitter tree of Darwin, think how many people that he defiled. Think about all the people that said we can have a world without God. And it defiled many. And you say, well, that's on a major scale, but think how many dads, think how many moms that walk around. Now remember, this is to believers. I'm not even talking about the bitterness of the world. This text is about believers having a bitter root. Think about how many dads walk around the house, and it always bitterness always comes out of the mouth, as we'll see in a minute. They begin with the bitter outlook on life. Bitter about everybody. And you know, I'm, you say, well, you're trying to get in my world? I'm trying to get in my world. How many, how many struggle with this? I'll be honest. I mean, there's times in life that if you're, I've got two people, man. I really thought this message applied to more people. (laughs) Two people and me. I appreciate the Finkstons over there. That's, how many people, You've noticed that if you're not careful, it's easy to become bitter. I am definitely one. And I think a lot of depression comes out of bitterness. I think a lot of sins come out of bitterness. How many people you think, because God didn't answer your desire for Him to take it away, that you got angry at God and sinned more? How many sins do you think are attached to bitterness? How many relationships and families have been destroyed because of bitterness? How many men do you think sit in a tavern every night and drink alcohol because of bitterness? In fact, the Bible goes out of its way to say, Husbands, beware not to be bitter against your wives. How many marriages do you think were destroyed because of bitterness? How many? So this is a very important thing. The Bible talks about in Acts, and I know you just studied a few weeks or a week or two ago, James, talked about Simon who wanted to purchase the ability to lay hands on people and then receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, that wasn't Paul, it was Philip. Philip, yeah, Philip uh, turned around and said that Simon had a gall of bitterness. Now I want you to think about this. 
I want you to think of a bladder called a gallbladder. And what happens with bitterness is pain comes into your life, offense comes into your life, all these things begin to come into your life, and it, just like a gallbladder, all that poison starts filling it up. Filling it up. How many have ever had a gallbladder attack? And this is what begins to happen. Because you've never dealt with anger, you never dealt with the un, um, unbelief in your heart. It's like, I'm holding it against God, I'm holding it against God, and it just keeps going, that poison just keeps going to that bladder. How many have ever had a gallbladder attack? What does it feel like? I mean, it is ridiculously painful, and they can't figure out what it is. I mean, it's like, don't they... It seems like every gallbladder attack, it's like we're going to do a million tests and never figure out what it is. How many of you have ever been through that process of the gallbladder? We can't figure out what it is. And what, I know when my wife went through it, she couldn't hardly sit in a position where it wasn't, the pain wasn't extreme. And this, it's just extreme, excruciating pain and it's just filling up with these toxins. And that's what happens in your life if you don't learn how to deal with unforgiveness and you don't learn how to deal with pain and you don't know how to deal with all of these things. This hurt just keeps getting old. It's just old anger is all it is. Bitterness is old anger, old hurt, old pain. And it just continues to build up, continues to build up, continues to build up. This is the surgery that God wants to do today. Because it's healthy, like Lisa said, because it's healthy... I'm going to let it go. I'm going to allow God to take the pain that I've been through. And some of you have been through some extreme pain. I'm talking these roots are way back. Some of you have been abused. And I'm sorry that you've been abused. Some of you have been hurt by the people that were closest to you in your life. Some of you have had parents, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, you say, who are these evil people that are hurting? Man, God should do something about these awful people that are hurting everybody. You know where you can find those people? They're actually in our bathroom in there. The mirror. Go find the mirror. Because you're the one doing it. I pointed to him. Jonathan, you're not the one. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I pointed to him. They're like, he's the one, you know. The mob. <laughs> I shouldn't point. I really shouldn't. He thought the Holy Spirit led me to do that. It, uh, <laughs> you're the one. I'm the one. And that's why Jesus said there is a forgiveness debt that we're unable to pay. It's like, Forgive others because I forgave you. And Jesus said it's like a man who owes a debt that so many millions, there's no way that he could ever pay it. He said, only if you forgive others will I forgive you. The reason why is because we're the offenders. For every person I forgive, there's uh, ten others that I've hurt. You know, my bitterness and your bitterness. It's a human condition. It's an ancient root. It's something that's that's in there dormant. And if we don't have the Spirit of God to root it out, if we don't have the wisdom of the Spirit of God every day, every day, you say, can't I just get rid of it once? Have you ever been in a garden? 
Do you know what happened when sin entered this world? The Bible says that these things are going to grow until we, until we go to be with the Lord. I'm so thankful for the moment I get to be with the Lord. Because I don't have to fight these things anymore. But the Bible says as long as we're on this earth, these things are going to try to take root in our heart. But the Bible says we have victory over these things. The Bible says when the Spirit of God comes into your life, a different fruit begins to grow. A whole different set of fruits. And it's the opposite of this. And we'll read that in a minute. But God says the Holy Spirit can begin to shine His light in your heart and He can begin to remove it. So how does this fruit progress? Because maybe I can recognize it if I see the progression of the fruit and I can see the growth of it in my life. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Each of you, therefore each of you, this is verse 25, must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Because we are all members of one body. If your anger, in your anger, do not sin. Now what's funny about that line, in your anger, do not sin? He didn't say, if... You get angry. Did he? He's assuming that everybody has anger. Everybody has frustration. How many here have never been frustrated? Don't raise your hand. I will make a public mark. I've seen that. (laughs) See, I said nice things about you. Now I gotta take it all back. He doesn't get frustrated though. Don't worry. (laughs) But it says, in your anger, don't sin. There's things that are going to make you angry. In fact, I was uh, just thinking of a story last night. My brother was at the wedding reception, was talking to me, and I asked him a strange question because when we were little kids, we weren't very old, I had a giant rug burn on my elbow. I mean, anybody, anybody ever had one of those giant rug burns and it just like, I mean, just all that stuff comes out of it and it's just nasty and it hurts. And uh, for some reason, he was trying to, Make me mad. I don't know why. He was following me through the house and he just kept poking it. And poking it. And I just absolutely, and this is how anger works, I exploded. And actually what I was asking was, where did I hit you at? Because I don't even remember hitting him. I turned around and just just waylaid him. And uh, next thing I knew, he was laying flat on, on his back in the middle of the living room. And uh, then my dad ran into the room and said, why did you do that for? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. He just kept bothering me. And he was like, man, you had to do that, huh? I was like, yeah, I just, I don't know what happened. And that's what anger does sometimes. It just builds up and it builds up. But here's the thing. You have a wound in your heart like my elbow was. And there's certain things in life that will set you off. And the enemy likes to find out what those things are. And he likes to poke you. He likes to push on it. He likes to say, okay, right here. Now, if God wants to strengthen you and give you strong legs and strong arms to be strong in the Lord, what is God going to do? He's going to strengthen you in the areas where you're wounded. You know, so God will bring somebody like me in 
And I've got to be very careful because if I push on those areas, what are you going to do? You might react like I did and turn around and wipe me out. But God wants me to touch those areas. You say, well, don't talk about this area because that makes me mad. Don't talk about this area, that makes me mad. Don't talk about this area, that makes me mad. And what God wants us to do is, God wants us to be so full of the Holy Spirit that we say, God, make me whole. God, begin to search my heart. God, begin to find something in me that's just not right. And that's what that's what the psalmist would do. He'd say, God, search my heart. Let me know where it's not right. Let me know where I need help. I don't want to... I don't want to hear a message about the things I'm strong in. I want to be stronger in those areas, but I want to hear about the areas that I'm not strong in. You know, the areas that you struggle with, that's where I want God to begin to strengthen me. But it's going to be a wound, and it's going to hurt. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. We're getting somewhere now. How do we avoid having this root of bitterness? When you're angry, because you will be angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, how hard is that? It's like I go to bed and I'm angry. Man, I can be angry for a long time. But God's just saying, let it go. Let it go. You thought I was going to go into the Disney song, didn't you? Yeah, okay. I don't even like everybody picturing me singing that right now, okay? So I'm going to move on. I'm not even going to let it go. All right. I have children, so I'm here to my mind too. So, But it goes on and it says, Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. When you go to bed angry, what, is, what just happened? Satan got a foothold. That means he's on your back. Satan is on your back and he's touching you in what area? The area where you are wounded. You're angry because you were wounded there. And he's on your back and he's poking that area. You say, man, I'm so mad because I can't pay my bills. How many have ever been there? I'm so mad because I try to pay my bills. Nobody works harder than I do. And I'm so mad about these bills And what are you basically saying when you say that? God, why did you do this to me? And because you went to bed not trusting God and you're assaulting God, Satan just jumped on your back and he's touching you at an area called finances. And he's just poking you. And he's poking you. And here's what's going to happen if we don't put a rest to it. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with their hands. They may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up and according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What is He asking you not to do? You can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's trying to do a work, and you can grieve the Holy Spirit. How? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Get rid of all what? 
Bitterness. Bitterness is going to turn into what? What's the next thing? Rage. I'm probably the only one in here that's ever had rage. Me and the Finkstons, right? Has anybody had bitterness turn into rage at any point in your life? I have. Okay? I love it because I fall under so many categories, it just makes it easy to teach. And anger. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. That means fighting, okay? Not necessarily with your fists. Alright? How many are constantly fighting people? Constantly in a fight. It's like we're going to argue over anything. Right? And this is what it turns into. This old anger, bitterness, turns into rage, it turns into anger, it turns into brawling, and it turns into slander. This is when the husband leaves and said, I never should have married you. It's when the dad walks away and said, I never should have had you. You see what happens with slander? You begin to insult people you were supposed to love. Because Satan jumped on your back, started poking you in the weak area of your life, and you begin to get bitter. And you're not going to trust God for it. I'm going to lay down angry. My anger is going to turn to rage because he keeps poking it. I'm going to keep fighting everybody around me. And then I'm going to begin to slander everybody around me. And what happens when a husband slanders a wife and a wife slanders a husband? What happens when a dad slanders a child and a child slanders a dad? What happens when a church member slanders a church member and another church member slanders a church member? What happens when a Christian slanders a non-Christian who's just wicked because he don't know any better? And it's the world we live in. But then it says along with every form of malice. So I'm not just slandering people now. I want to hurt them. I want to damage them in some way. I want to use them. It might be greed. I want to use these people to get money because I am a person who is uh, full of bitterness. This is what Simon was doing. Simon was... was Greed was his um, gall of bitterness. He was greedy. And he wasn't afraid to hurt other people with his greed. Colossians 3 says this, Since then, this is verse 3 of chapter 3, it says, You have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things... Oh, actually, I missed the last verse, the last one. This is a good verse. Instead of being full of malice, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Now, how different is that than the bitterness root? That's a whole different root. Now, Colossians says basically the same type of thing. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart. This is the focus again. We talked about the focus being on Jesus and not your pain. Right? Set your heart on things above where Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God. Here it is again. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here's another root. Another root that's grown in your heart and it's in Christ Jesus at His throne in heaven. You're seated in heavenly places with Him. And it says, When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So, because of the fact that you're going to appear with Him in glory, it says, Put to death, 
Therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Now listen to this. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all of these such things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Notice the same set, the same cluster of wormwood. This is the same bitter cluster. Anger, rage, malice, and then filthy talk from your mouth. What is the filthy talk of your mouth? You can't bless anything. You curse everything. Bitter, bitter, bitter. Bitter is everything. Bitter is my job. Bitter is my finances. Bitter is my husband. Bitter is my wife. Bitter is my children. That's the cluster that's grown in you. Bitter is everything. And it goes on. Put the filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Now what's coming out of this? So all this filthiness is to be in and come. They, they continue to keep saying, quit lying to your neighbor. All this filthiness comes out of this bitter tree. And it says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with all of its practices. Put on a new self, which is renewed in knowledge in the image of your Creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Here's this word again. Forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put in love which binds all of these together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in you. Peace of Christ rule in you. Since as members of where's the one body again, we're all acting like Jesus in one body. You were called to peace and be thankful. Here's another thing a bitter person can't do is be thankful. It's very difficult to be thankful when your spirit has become bitter. Very, very difficult to be thankful and grateful and wake up every day and find something to be thankful about. In fact, there's so many people. (laughs) I woke up by so many people and I was like, man, it's a beautiful day. It's like, what's beautiful about it? What's good about it? How's it going? It's going. I'm like, what's that mean? Is that good or is that bad? Or, you know, it's going. And you guys can see this thing growing and manifesting itself. And it just takes away all of your joy. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach. Admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your heart. Whatever you do, whether in deed or word, name of Jesus, give thanks to God the Father through Him. All right, the most important thing, how do we remove these roots? The first thing about removing the the roots are we have to figure out how deep these things go. Have you ever had some of those real difficult things in your garden? 
that are like, man, how deep do these things go? Because like you wipe them out, they're back. You know, like a crabgrass or something. You know, it's like how deep do these roots go? And it's just like, if you've ever had any experience, there are some roots that, man, you you look around and you say, if I'm going to get all these roots out, that fence, part of that fence is going to have to come down. You know, they're literally that invasive sometimes that you have to wipe out fences, you have to move trellises. I mean, you have to really be serious about removing this from your life. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit does to you. He gives you a seriousness about removing this from your life. In fact, I put this down. He says in the original verse that we looked at in Hebrews 12, he says, don't miss the grace of God. It's like the grace of God is there to take care of this, but you can miss it. In fact, another place in the Bible says don't forfeit it. It's saying don't miss the grace of God. Here's what the grace of God will do for you. The grace of God will give you the desire to remove it. Desire is a big thing. If you're going to remove that huge invasive amount of weeds that is deep into your yard and you've got to move the fence and the trellis and all these things, you've got to move heaven and earth, you've got to want to do, you've got a desire to remove it. You say, well, I'm a bitter person. How do I get it out of my life? The first thing you have to do is say, I don't want to be a bitter person anymore. I don't want to be bitter anymore. I want my family to see a positive person. I want my family to see somebody who is grateful and thankful and loving and kind and gentle and all of those things. And you've got to desire it more than anything. And the Holy Spirit will do that. The Holy Spirit will come into your heart and He will encourage you. He'll pour courage into you and you say, keep on going. You're going to be a new person in me. Did you see it said new creation? We have the potential to be a totally new creation in the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the desire, but what good is the desire if you don't have the ability? And only the Holy Spirit can add to the desire to do it. He can add the ability to remove. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life will give you the desire and give you the supernatural power to become a new person. Isn't that amazing? God can take a bitter person and make them new again. He can take the most bitter person in the world and make them the most hopeful, the most loving. I've seen it happen. I've seen the most bitter people in the world become the most loving people that I've ever known because of the power of the Holy Spirit. How many know that's true? Am I telling the truth? Man, i got a lot more people that know the truth than are that struggle with bitterness. That's good. That's good. That's what I wanted. All right. So the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of this Holy Spirit has to do a work. The next thing that we have to do to remove the roots is we have to learn forgiveness. We have to learn the power of forgiveness. You say, I am not forgiving that person because they don't deserve it. The forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness is not for the person you're forgiving. You must forgive in order to move forward. You can't move forward. I've got a book here, one of my favorite books. 
It's called Why Forgive. And I just, a lot of times I'll just stop by a bookstore and I'll just sit there and I'll say, I have an hour, I want to find a book. And I don't even know this guy that wrote it. I've never heard of him. And uh, But it's just simply a book and he details several people's lives and all of them had traumatic things happen. They had children who were sexually assaulted. They had uh, family members who were murdered in cold blood. And one half of the book are people who refuse to forgive. And the poison that was inside of those people for the rest of their life, I mean, they were poisonous, bitter. I mean, they were so angry, and it just, it just really details their life from that point forward. And it shows how destructive their life became almost worse than the original thing that, it, that happened because they were so bitter and so unforgiving. In fact, I was looking, uh, anybody watch this weekend, Bobby Knight was being interviewed. And as he was being interviewed, this is a sad case of a very bitter person. They said, will you ever, he got fired from Indiana University, and they said, will you ever go back to Assembly Hall? And of course, many people know the man that fired him went to go work for the NCAA as the president, and a few years later died of cancer. So a lot of people know that situation, a pretty good man died of cancer. And they said, well, he said, I'll never go back because of those people. And they said, well, some of those people have died. And he goes, I hope they all die. I'll never go back to that place. And you see this pattern in his life. Everywhere he goes, he just spews bitterness everywhere. And you know how wonderful that man's life would have been if he would have just forgiven the school. So much better. And I was reading a story on the opposite, on forgiveness. Uh, how many have ever heard of Corey Tinboom? And Corey Tinboom, she was um, she lived in an occupied nation, and she was trying to uh, hide Jews so they wouldn't be killed. And her and her sister were captured trying to hide Jews. Well, she went to the concentration camp, and she was horribly treated. I mean, she was treated uh, so badly, her and her sister, her sister... Uh, ended up dying in the concentration camp. Her sister was nothing but skin and bones, and so was she. And uh, those uh, military officers, the German officers, mistreated her awful. And uh, Corey Tinboom uh, would go around the country because she was a strong Christian throughout that period of time, wrote, wrote a lot of literature about her time there, and she began to travel the country and talk about forgiveness, how she had forgiven what they'd done to her and those type of things. And as Corey Tinboom is standing in an auditorium speaking to a group of people, her high eyes happen to look across the auditorium and she's seen one of the officers that was, that had her in camp. And that officer, for some reason, she always remembered his face because they abused her terribly. And she said as she was speaking on forgiveness, she began to tremble. And as she began to see him, obviously he didn't know who she was. He had no idea that she knew him, and, and she didn't know. But she remembered all the times that they forcibly uh, deloused her, which means they stripped her down completely and humiliated her, and they had to spray her off. And she remembered how that particular guard would, she'd always say, he has sexually assaulted me with his eyes every day and got such pleasure out of me. And she said, as I began to look at him, just think about forgiveness for a minute. As she began to look at him, she began to remember her little sister 
you know, her ribs were hanging out. You know, she was dying. She was about to die. And she remembers watching her little sister walk in there completely naked and watched as this man sexually assaulted her with his eyes. And while she was telling him about the love of God and forgiveness, here he come walking up to her. And she began to tremble. And she could feel that bitter root springing up. And she said, um, you may not know this, but I worked at one time in the concentration camp that you were at. And he said, I just want you to know that I'm a Christian now. And he stuck out his hand. And all she could think about was all the things that he'd ever done to her and her sister. And she said, she stood there, she don't know how long she sat there. And I want you to hear her words. She said, says, I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. Forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew. Forgiveness was not an emotion and I knew that. How many think you have to have the emotion to forgive? That's not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of my will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of my heart. She was cold. There was no love whatsoever. She, the root of bitterness was ready to spring forth because she had been hurt so incredibly badly. She said, Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feelings I need to forgive. So she was begging him, I'll raise my hand, but help me have the feelings that go along with it. And so... Woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, listen to this. As I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. This healing warmth flooded my whole being. Tears began to pour out of my eyes. Tears came to my eyes. I said, I forgive you, brother. I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Having thus learned to forgive in the hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say the merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on. But they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age... It's that I can store up good, I can't store up, listen to this, I can't store up good feelings and behavior. I can only draw them fresh from God every day. Wow. Some of you have drug addictions. 
And it's because of unforgiveness. It's because of bitterness. It's because of hurt. Because of pain. Some of you struggle with sin for the same reason. Some of you can't forgive yourself. Can't forgive yourself. And forgiveness, and I'll tell you a partner of forgiveness is forgetfulness. Is it alright if I go a little longer this morning? There was a woman in Louisville, Kentucky. And in her backyard, this is uh, right after the Civil War. And in her backyard was a tree. And Robert E. Lee, the commander of the Southern Army, the Confederate Army, after the war, came to her house. And in her backyard, she was full of bitterness. She was full of hatred. She was still flagging that, you know, waving that, that rebel flag high. And she felt like Robert E. Lee would have the same bitterness that she had. He felt like he would have the same unforgiveness that she had. Remember, forgiveness and forgetfulness are like sisters. You have to have both of them. So he walks to the backyard and she had been waiting since the war to tell him about this tree. And the tree was deformed, the tree was broken, the tree had been through battle. And she said, this tree I keep in my backyard, look at it. She said, it's beaten, it's broken. She said, that Union Army did this to that tree. And she said, what do you think about that tree, General Lee? He said, I think you should cut it down and burn it and move on. Are there wiser words? Cut it down, burn it, move on. Why are you replaying it over and over and over in your mind? Your mom hurt you? Your dad hurt you? A family member hurt you? A church hurt you? Christians hurt you? And oh yeah, one other person really hurt you too, and it was God. You believe God hurt you. And so in your mind, you replay it over and over and over and over. Over and over and over. Here's the God of heaven who before the foundation of the world decided He would be beaten worse than any man would ever be beaten. They said He was beaten so badly that you could not even recognize who He was. He was marred, the Bible said, more than any man had ever been marred. There was no part of His life that was good. The day that He was born, every child in the area had to die because they were trying to kill Him. Father died at a young age. He lived in a port city where there were sailors sleeping with women and his mother uh, was born of a virgin birth and was not married. So how do you think his life was? No record of his dad after the age of 12. He did good and what happened to him? Worse things happened to him than what happened. You wouldn't do it to a dog. If I came to your house and I took a dog... And I stuck thorns into that dog's head. You'd say, what a cruel man you are. And I just pressed them into that little 
puppy's head. And I know a lot of your animal lovers, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to say you wouldn't do it to a dog. You would think I was the worst person in the world if I nailed that dog's paws to a wooden stick. You would think I was the worst person in the world. You would think if I took that little puppy and I began to rip his hair out of him, like they ripped his beard, and I and I looked at him, and I spit on him and said he was nobody. Think about it. They spit on God, said he was nobody. They slapped him on the face and said, prophesy who did it. Tell us who did it. They beat him so bad on the back. What if I took that puppy and I ripped the skin off of him? His ribs hung out. Just beat him until the ribs hung out of him, but I left him stay alive. I let him stay alive. What if I did it? How cruel of a man would I be? What if I took a sword and plunged it into his side and let the blood and the water run out of him? But before the foundation of the world, Jesus was trying to tell you that I love you. I know you have hurt in this world, I did too. I know you have pain in this world, I did too, but this is the only way. I love you. And after all that was done to him, all he did was good to people. All he did was heal, all he did was love. All he did was say kind words. There was no root of bitterness found in him. And after all of that, they did that to him. And you know what he looked down and said? Forgive them. God's asking you to cut it down and burn the thing and move on. I know that you didn't get treated when you were little, but love the people that mistreated you. I know that some church hurt you. I know some Christians hurt you. I know your mom hurt you. I know your dad hurt you. I know family members hurt you. Friends cut you to the heart. But God's saying, cut it down, burn it, and move on. It's healthy. Watchfulness. Psalm 26 says, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. If you want to get rid of the roots, root it out, forgive, forget, and then continually ask God, test me. Examine me. I want to know, Lord. Why am I acting out like this? Why am I always in a fit of rage? Why am I always upset at people? Why am I always fighting? Why am I always brawling? Why am I always depressed? Why am I always suicidal? And say, examine me, God. Whenever you're doing that, I'm not trying to make you look bad. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that there's something in there that's unresolved. There's something in there that is not right. And God wants to heal it. And peace. Notice how much the word peace and forgiveness and love were in all those scriptures that I read. God wants to give you real peace. Like Corey Ten Boom talked about, peace flooded her soul when she shook that man's hand and forgave him. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, 
In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your wrath where you're so angry, do not give the devil a foothold. God wants to give you the peace that comes with forgiveness and love. And the last thing, God wants to give you joy, thankfulness, kindness, and He wants your mouth to speak blessings instead of curses. He wants you to bless the people around you and not curse them. He wants you to be grateful and He wants you to be thankful. We're going to close today. In fact, this is my closing. We're going to do communion. And the Bible says this, as he, as he begins to speak about communion, it says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. This is when he's talking about communion. Your communion, listen to this, your meetings do more harm than good. This is Paul talking to the church. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, There are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be a difference among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and one uh, drinks plenty. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Then he goes on, verse 27, he says, So then, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in the way of the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat the communion and you eat together, anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so when we meet together it would not result in judgment. What God's saying is every time we come together for communion, God wants us to examine our hearts. So if we could have the uh, elders come here, we're going to serve the communion. And I just want everybody to take a moment uh, just to examine your hearts. And if there's anything that's in your heart, if you guys could come forward now. And I've got a prayer here that I'm going to read. And the prayer is um, about bitterness. So as they, um, I'm going to read this, and as they serve this, I want you to think about your heart in this bitterness. Some of you may not even be right with the Lord right now. In fact, that's what Hebrews is doing, finding out if you be in the Lord. That's what that whole book is about, people that thought they were in the Lord and maybe they were not. So if, you ha- if you're not right with the Lord, you need to find me after communion here, and I want to pray with you. I want to help you get right with the Lord. But uh, anybody else that's here, I want, you, I want you to listen to this prayer. If everybody would close their eyes, I'm just going to read this prayer, and I want you to really think about this in your life. I want to really help you uh, examine your heart. Heavenly Father, 
You promised in this world we would have tribulations. Never did you promise that we would have sunshine without rain. Never did you say that we would be exempt from trials, troubles, and injustice. I confess to you today, and I want you to do this in your own words as I read this. I confess to you today that the injustices that were perpetrated upon me, they still ache deep in my soul. The unforgiveness in my life works like a cancer slowly eating away my spiritual vitality. Please forgive me for walking in unforgiveness. My refusal to forgive only cheapens the debt you paid on my behalf to forgive my sins. I realize my refusal to forgive affects my relationship with you as well as those who have harmed me. Father, I don't want to be like the servant who was forgiven of enormous debt only to turn around and refuse to forgive another. In, In the world's greatest act of injustice, you were nailed to a cross on false charges. I may have been wrong, but you suffered a far greater wrong than I ever will. Yet hanging on the cross, you cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Instill within me the kind of love that releases people from their debts of offense. So this day, I release to you the debts I have hold over other people's heads. Of those who have wronged me, Father, please forgive me of my debts, as I forgive my debtors. May the only remaining debt be my debt of love for those who have hurt me. Liberate me, liberate me today from the bondage of unforgiveness and bitterness. I want no part of anything that hinders my walk with you. Remove any cancerous root of bitterness and heal the hurts buried deep inside of me with the balm of your Holy Spirit. I choose today to change my attitude and my heart toward those who have wronged me so I can forgive them from my heart. Please wipe away all memories that recount injustices from the past and give me discernment to avoid needless hurt and pain in the future. Whenever those weeds of unforgiveness and bitterness surface, please don't show me that you lo- please show me that you love my offenders as much as you love me. Remind me that even in those times that I have wronged you and sinned against you, you still love me, accept me, and welcome me into your arms. Therefore, I leave my offenses today in the past. And I clothe myself with your great love. Now as they serve the elements, I want you to begin to pray in your own heart about these things.